Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 390th show is Dr. Sarah Starr visiting assistant professor of English at Kenyon College. And we're going to be talking about the Henry Daniel Project, the first complete edition of the Lieber Yuri Chrissiarum. Our history buffs are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. And Ed, you get to start us off. Thanks, Jay. Dr. Sarah, uh, you've mentioned that this work was uh, strictly a uh, diagnostic manual. Um, so as a medical practitioner... Um, in that time period then, what did one do um, as far as trying to figure out a treatment for something? Yeah, so there are, I suppose, two different, let's say, genres of medieval medical texts. There's a diagnostic manual, and then there's something called a practica, which is sort of exactly what it sounds like, right? It's um, a larger text that talks about practical medicine, ways of practicing actual medicine. And so one version of that um, would be Henry Daniel's other text, which is an herbal manual. So one way of finding cures might be to check out an herbal manual, see what kinds of plants can help you with different illnesses. Um, and there's been a lot of interest lately on in medieval plants and herbs and uh, and how they how they were thought to heal people. Rick. Thanks, John. Uh, Sarah, how widely was this work circulated through uh, through Europe and and beyond? Yeah, um, I can't think of evidence that it circulated beyond England. Um, some manuscripts have ended up in libraries, you know, all over Europe, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were there when Daniel was still alive and working. Um, we know because there are so many manuscripts that it was certainly circulated very widely in England and that that was important because it's written in English, right? And so it is for the popular, um, the popular audience. But in terms of beyond that, I can't really say. Was it just the monks that, that had this, or was it a select group of uh, doctors uh, uh, that uh, that saw this? Probably a lot of, uh, probably a mix. <laughs> um, Daniel's audience, we think, would have been a mix of people like him, friars who are also practicing medicine, and sure. yes. and people who could read, right? Not everybody could, but some people could. And um, not everybody necessarily, ha you know, it's not like today where people have doctors. Not everybody had access to a doctor at all. And so we think based on the way that he writes it and what he says in the prologue about wanting to make uroscopy accessible to more people, uh, that his audience probably comprised a mix of educated people who had access to a library and um people in England who could read English, but not necessarily Latin 
And so this was a text that they would be able to use um, to kind of get like a, I kind of want to call it an unofficial, sort of gives them unofficial certification to diagnose themselves or their friends or their family. Sure, sure. Um, Dr. Sarah, this is where we're going to put all the cards on the table. As we talked in between the show, my co-host got his master's at Western Illinois in ancient uh, classical uh, medical Egyptian history. Um, he's going to tell you what his uh, topic was, and I'm going to bet Dave Baker's house that you're just going to love it because I have a feeling that even though you're hundreds of miles away, you guys can see eye to eye. Jay, would you please tell them what your topic was? Mine was um, medical practices in third uh, in the third dynasty of Egypt. What was the topic in particular, dealing with Egypt, the thing that cured it all? Oh, you're talking about a particular... Yes, yes, yes. So for lots of stomach ailments, and this is true in the Middle Ages as well, uh, for lots of stomach ailments um, caused by parasites, uh, the, the preferred method of dealing with that was to take dried dung... Uh, Egypt mm-hmm. preferred crocodile, but, you know, cow and and uh, so forth would work as well. And then mix it with something, milk or beer or whatever you had to, to sort of make it more palatable because it would change the, um, the acid level in the stomach and kill the parasites. Um, and, you know, when I think about this particularly talking again about urine um, and the idea that you're going to cool someone down, you may give somebody an ice bath because their urine says that they're too hot, they're overcooked, or you might, you know, heat somebody up, put them in a sweat lodge, um, you know, in, in a, you know, because they're too cool. It's very much the same, and, and um, so my, my, my curiosity is, since Daniel is being very observational, um, how much success did um, the uh, recipes in his um, diagnostic table seem to, or uh, Teresa seem to have? Uh, I have so many. I have questions for you now. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> I, I that's why hear. I brought this up. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to hear more about what you did. Um, that's. It's. I mean, I'm so glad that there is this connection. Um, one thing I will say with the heating and cooling is that I think that this also speaks to what you're talking about because you can also, um, you know, apply something cooling in terms of eating cooling foods or you can eat warming foods or drink warming things like wine, right? Um, and so it's not, it's not always topical. Sometimes you can cool down the body through ingesting something. Um, the success of the herbal treatise or the recipes in the herbal treatise, I don't know. I don't think that as far as I know, there's no evidence to suggest that um, there's no evidence to suggest that people were writing about having taken his cures. But like the Liber Uticriciarum, it's a mix of what he's read and what he's experienced. And so there are a lot of sources cited there too. And then the herbs that he talks about, um, he used to have a garden where he says he grew 252 herbs. And he remembers all of them because obviously this was before he was a friar. This was like when he lived, you know, as a bachelor or whatever. Um, And so he remembers these plants and 
where they're available, where he could find them, where they grew, and uh, and what their healing properties are. And so it is, again, it is like the mix, right, where he saw whatever, you know, fennel or whatever um, do a particular thing with a particular person, but a lot of it is um, based on more authoritative herbal sources. Um, if, if I can follow up, because I, I sort of had a an ulterior motive for asking that question. Of course you can um, follow up. She's the only person you can talk to about this in your entire life. Of course you can. <laughs> so, so my question is, talking about success in general, um, there's a, a poem written about the same time uh, about the art of the physician in general, and I just want to read a, a couple of stanzas and then get your your sense of of how that works in a, of how that worked in a broader sense. Um, the the stanzas say, "I curse lacocious doctors for their lies. They kill the man who'd live and save him who died. Many physicians are foes of the sick and fail to study what is wrong." but quick prescribe a cure and often kill outright. Others, when wayward nature hides from sight, waver which course to take, caught in between. Heed warnings, but should not be too discreet in judging urine in deceit. What warms up in the cold chills in the heat. So that, that doesn't seem like a very, uh, a very good endorsement, but then I think you could probably say there are a lot of people who are feeling that way about doctors at this point in time today. So can you talk a little bit about that sense of, of doctoring and, and how people at the time sort of looked at it? Yeah. Um, there's deep distrust of doctors at this time. Um, one thing I will say is that I love that there is the specific image of looking at urine because it was so common, but often in manuscripts, um, even literary manuscripts, if there is a doctor, he will be pictured examining a urine flask. And that's how you identify, oh, that's the doctor, like in illustrations, right? Even in, um, in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, one of the pilgrims is a physician, and in the little diagram, the little illustration of him on the side, he's examining a urine flask so that you can say, oh, that's the physician. Like, that's the, that's what makes them recognizable as doctors, because that's how widespread this diagnostic practice is. Um, but yes, there's deep distrust of doctors. And I don't think that Daniel trusts doctors all that much either. <laughs> I think that he's very much kind of um, aware of it. And for him, it's more about apothecaries. So he doesn't trust apothecaries, and neither do a lot of people who are writing poetry, as far as I can tell, either. Um, apothecaries are just, you know, out to get money. Um, and there's this sense that some doctors have a suspicious relationship with apothecaries, where they kind of just scheme together to get money from people, as opposed to actually helping them. And so that's a very widespread deep distrust, and it goes on for centuries. Um, this is something that I like to talk about with my students, too, because I get a lot of pre-med taking my class on literature <laughs> and medicine, and, and they're shocked to find out that people didn't always really respect doctors. <laughs> 
And then we'll read some poems and some plays where doctors are represented as quacks and kind of spouting nonsense and the fools in a lot of these plays um, by, you know, by people like Shakespeare. And it just, it's really hard for them to wrap their head around that idea that it's not the most respected um, position. But I think that it has to do with this sense of authority and the power that that gives you when there's a real literal language barrier so that people just don't have access to that knowledge that other people claim to have. There's a lot that a bad doctor can do with that. Um, And and literature certainly plays around with that idea and critiques doctors in hilarious and really kind of hateful ways. We would like to thank our guests for the 390th show, Dr. Sarah Starr, visiting assistant professor of English at Kenyon College, who talked to us about the Henry Daniel Project, the first complete edition of Liber Eurchrisirum. Uh, the History Bus for today's show, Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This is ROI recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.